Should we go electric? I think we should go electrified with Toyota. Electrified? Electrified means options. So electrified looks different for everyone. Yup, and with more options for reducing carbon emissions, Toyota is electrified diversified. Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyondzero. Hello? Hi, Catherine. Oh, hi. Happy 4th of July. <laughs> what does that even mean anymore? It means grilling out, playing bocce ball, bean bags, American flags, guitars, stars and stripes, fireworks. I think it means <laughs> silent, solo, contemplative reflection on the failures of our society and the lies of our history. All I could hear was flipping burgers and having some fun in the sun. Water balloons. Country music. No, I think it's um, staring at the sky and wondering deeply about oh, how no. we got here and how we could get out of here. She's available to attend parties this weekend, folks. <laughs> Please write us at social distance. Um, yeah. uh, it's school week, though, so we should not focus on Yeah, this on isn't our... about um, Fourth of July and its irrelevance. Or... It's not irrelevant. It's a moment where we, you know, destroyed the hated British, eradicated them from our country. No. It's education week. Guess what? I have found a new thing to be enraged about. Okay, what's that? Child care. And how we don't have it. Every time we talk about reopening the economy, that seems like the interstitial thing. And then they're like, how can you tell people to go back to work when they don't have a place for their kid to go? Right. Here in New York City, where we are, currently the plan is to maybe have kids come in one out of every three weeks and do the other two weeks online. Basically, schools are trying to figure out how they can have kids distance. And right. you can't. So they're thinking about bringing like low numbers of kids in every other week, every third week, you know. Huh. How are you supposed to take care of your kid and help them with education and also work at the same time? Now, yeah, it's worth noting that <laughs> the solutions throughout recent history have mainly been for the wealthier to, I mean, school is a huge part of how everyone does it, but also part of how the wealthier do it mm -hmm. is just hire people to help them take care of the kids. There are other countries that have ways around this, right? Do they? I think. How? Um, um, offering childcare to parents. Who does that? I don't know. <laughs> Okay, so we've reached the end of our knowledge. We should we should um we should call Helen Lewis. Uh Helen Lewis is a staff writer. She is based in the UK. Um and oh, she we just broke up with the UK. Yeah, we did. So this is gonna be awkward. <laughs> this is gonna be really awkward. She is the author of a book called Difficult Women, which is a history of feminism. And um she's been writing about all of these issues and politics, um for years, and she's got a good idea for us.
Hi, Helen. Hiya. Thank you for joining us across the ocean. How is it across the ocean? It's raining. It's it's on it's on brand. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Where are you exactly? Uh, South London. Um, mm-hmm. And like I, I just feel like I know the one square mile around my house in almost forensic detail now. <laughs> I I understand that feeling very deeply. So this is school week for us. We've been talking about schools. What is the situation with schools in the UK? Is it similar to what we're experiencing here? It is. It's complicated because actually the four nations of the United Kingdom have all handled it slightly differently. Um, but the basic premise is that some schools have gone back in kind of dribs and drabs with some year groups in order to try and maintain sort of social distancing. The new plan is for everybody basically to go back for the uh, fall term. And the idea is that you will just only associate with the other children that are in your year group and sort of so-called bubbles. Um, and my friend, Laura McInerney, who's an education journalist, pointed out there's one massive trouble with this, which is that quite a lot of children have siblings. And right. so in the idea about, you know, you're going to be able to lock down a single year group as just one cohesive unit is, is busted open. Um, and the idea is that if there are more than two COVID infections in a school, then the whole school closes. So oh, man, they're going to close the schools right away. Well, I mean, it's, it, there's going to be a kind of ping pong, basically, I would have thought. In a way, I think that's almost worse for working parents, um, right? Because if you know that school's off, then you have to make childcare arrangements full time. And maybe that's, you know, that's really hard to do, but you can kind of budget for it. You can kind of think about it. But at the moment, it's kind of, yeah, we're going back to school, except at any moment that might be taken away. Yeah. Yeah. So there, there are the effects on kids themselves, the lost education, the lost socialization and everything. But can you talk a little bit about the sort of second order effects on everybody else? <laughs> Yeah, I think there's this kind of weird loon policymaking that has happened in the US and uh, Rachel Donaldi has written about it in France and it's definitely happened here where they've gone, hooray, it's time to reopen the economy. Like let's everybody, you know, we've got the hair salons opening on July the 4th or, you know, museums are opening up, um, you know, non-essential shops have already opened up. And that's great, but... What, what am I supposed to do with my kids is what a, a kind of mm-hmm. huge number of working parents have asked. You know, there's not been an acknowledgement that, you know, nurseries, kindergartens particularly, but school too, are childcare. And they are what allows workers to get to work, you know, just as much as having a functioning transport system is. The idea that you can do something with your four-year-old that doesn't involve kind of going, see you in eight hours, try not to chew a washing machine cable. <laughs> oh my gosh, do kids do that? <laughs> I, I mean, luckily, I don't have kids for the purposes of this conversation. <laughs> okay, we'll assume that they do. Yeah. No, I mean, I've got I've got quite a lot of friends with um, with young children, and they are, you know, they are so stressed out, and they feel also there's been a kind of lack of sympathy as well, right? That people say, "Well, don't you love your kids? Don't you want, don't you enjoy spending this extra time with them?" And I remember interviewing the parenting expert Emily Oster, and she said, "You know, it's a if you think about it in economic terms, it's kind of." Um, marginal gains right if I only had one hour a day I would spend it with my children but eight hours a day with my children 12 hours a day with my children is not you know eight or 12 times as, as good mm-hmm. and I, it's okay to say I enjoy my job and that's something that gives me meaning and for you know for a lot of people it's also crucial to their uh, being able to feed their children in turn mm-hmm. so uh, you know I think it's it's been really tough on parents particularly really young children the last couple of months and it doesn't look like that situation's getting any better It seems relatively obvious that not having schools open and also having jobs open is not a tenable situation. Why isn't this like part of the plan? 
Well, I think one of the things I always think when I write about feminism is the fact that tradition makes you think that things are natural and immutable when they're not actually they're a result of political choices that people have made. Mm -hmm. And there is a rhetoric, particularly when I write pieces about feminism for the Atlantic for an American audience, it's about, you know, the idea of choice, right? Well, you chose this, you chose to have children. And that's Mm -hmm. very much the way it's kind of seen. Uh, Like, and therefore everything that flows from that, suck it up, buttercup, you know, you're, you're on your own, you pick this. Um, and I think it's a sort of legacy of a world of work that is still wedded to the idea of, you know, very 1950s model where the man is the breadwinner and then the wife's job is sort of secondary if she's got one at all. And that's not the reality for the vast majority of people now. And all of that is just completely compounded in a pandemic. Right. I mean, and I think, you know, because actually what's happens in lots of places is that people rely on families and friends and informal networks of childcare and lockdown just completely took that away. Never mind losing your six hours a day of, of formal nursery care. You know, you also couldn't get your mum to come and pick the kids up so that you could, you know, go to an important meeting. So this, these are problems that have been with us for now decades. Now we have a crisis on top of this. Um, and we need solutions now. So what should we do? Okay. I mean, I know that this is to American ears almost like calling for, you know, full communism now, but it should be the state's responsibility to provide affordable childcare and to pay for maternity and paternity leave. Um, and this is one of the things that I think I find it very hard to get used to as someone from European perspective is that America has no federally mandated maternity leave and people are kind of, some people in some jobs are cobbling together bits of holiday allowance, right? And pumping breast milk in the toilets at work when they're only, you know, six weeks after their baby's born. Um, But actually there's a social good to children being happy and healthy and well brought up and parents being, you know, not stressed and not trying to cram everything in and overload it. And I think that's really tough for people to get their heads around initially. You know, sometimes occasionally I have a little spark of, God, I must be paying a lot of money for schools that I'm not using. But then I'm also, it is an idea about society that all those kids are going to grow up and, and do things, brilliant things, hopefully that will benefit my life forever. Yeah. I mean, or they'll just make TikToks and go to Zoom school. Yeah, but that's adding to the gaiety of the nation. I'm I'm in favor of that too. <laughs> I suppose so. You're right. Uh, under this communist ideal situation you've laid out, it's a nice idea. Does it work anywhere? Well, the Nordic countries are the place that everybody points to. And if you look on the World Economic Forum website, you know the best places to be a child are um, those Scandinavian countries. So Norway, Sweden, Finland, Denmark, and all of them do have very generous entitlements to affordable childcare with a maximum capped level. I was reading that this morning. The cap level in Denmark is something like $300 a month. Like that's the absolute maximum you need to pay and you're entitled to, to it for like eight hours a day. So it is just, you know, it does require a, a level of state spending that I think is really difficult to, to comprehend in the American context. And, you know, Unless those are talking about the military. Right. Yeah. I mean, we could arm children. I suppose that would probably be um, interesting. The other, <laughs> the other way to go with it. But, but equally well, you know, that those countries have, you know, high rates of female employment. They score very highly on gender equality. Hmm. Um, and and actually, if you've ever been to them, they're quite nice places to live. Like that, you would, you know, if if you ask me whether or not I would like to live in Oslo, apart from the weather, which gets pretty grim in the winter, or um, Helsinki is just a beautiful city, free Wi-Fi throughout the city. You know, these are countries that really think about what makes a good life. I like that Wi-Fi is the example of what makes a good life. Yeah, that's my mind. This hierarchy of needs, right? Like number one is Wi-Fi. Number two, food. Um, yeah, 
three access to TikTok. But yeah, <laughs> Finland, uh, Finland has a baby bond scheme, um, which is something that I think Annie Larry wrote about on the site this week. You know, the more money you can put into children before the age of three, basically, the more you even out their life chances. The die is sort of pretty much cast by the time kids are going to school. And, and so giving parents that help really early on has huge, huge equalizing effects on their life chances. So what should we do? What is the way we can think about it to make it make sense for us? Well, I'm going to give you the really bad news, which is that in the course of writing my book, which is a history of feminism, I found out that in 1970, the Women's Liberation Conference in Britain came up with a list of five demands that the feminist movement should ask for. And number one was free universal childcare. And so we've had 50 years of that argument being at the forefront of feminist thinking and policymaking here. And we're still, you know, there's some little patchy bits of free nursery provision for three to four-year-olds and, and other bits and pieces, but nowhere near free universal childcare. And I, and I think it's one of those things that will probably stay in the realm of, of aspiration, to be honest, because of the, the level of investment required. But as with all politics, it's about making the argument that this actually makes economic sense. The UK has actually got really low productivity um, compared to other countries. And I wonder if some of it isn't about the fact that people arrive quite stressed and frazzled because, you know, they've kind of still got porridge in their hair and they've had to do the school pickup on the way and, you know, they don't know whether or not they're going to have to leave the meeting or whatever it might be. You know, I think there's a cold economic argument to be made. Yeah. We make the same, like, there's actually a really robust economic argument for universal healthcare. Um, that we actually waste a ton of money and our system is super inefficient and super expensive and it would actually be cheaper and more efficient if everybody were on a Medicare for all type plan. And yet that also does not seem to be compelling. There are a number of ways in which hyper-capitalism really affects, I think, the quality of life in America. Another one is the idea, for example, here, if you watch um, children's TV, you can't advertise junk food during the middle of it. Like that is something that is banned. And actually the most the majority of you know children's TV comes through the BBC, which doesn't have adverts on it at all. And like as something I think if you propose that in America, people would kind of probably look at you like you were deranged. <laughs> um one thing we're staring down the barrel of the fall where schools are gonna reopen haphazardly and on and off. Um you wrote about the idea of I think it was called a risk budget. And could you talk about that? Because that seemed like something that we could actually put in place immediately. Yeah, this came from, um, I think originally it was coined in a New York Times article via Slate, I read about it. It's the, the idea of an exposure budget. It's the idea that, you you know, if you've got only a certain amount of risk to spend, why aren't schools the first thing you spend it on? Right. You know, why are right. we out there opening bars? I mean, you know. Right, right. Like, uh, uh, lots of people enjoy a drink, but it is possible to obtain alcohol and drink it in your own house. I've found this to be true. Yeah, right. You could probably like turn up some incredibly loud music and get some people to sort of come around and jostle you occasionally <laughs> if you're really missing that experience. But like, why would that be something that you would prioritize before schools, which right. are both right. about childcare and about children's educational attainment? Right. And we know, you know, there's this thing called the summer holiday effect where kids from low-income families fall behind their wealthier peers during the summer holidays. 
because um, the you know the kids in the in the wealthy families have got books at home and they've got maybe mm-hmm. their own bedroom so they've got some time you know they've got time and summer programs or whatever there right yeah. and they've got a, a good stable internet connection if there's stuff that they want to look at you know all of yeah. those things that middle class and upper middle class families have got um the really well-to-do schools have had the resources to start doing online classes there's been a big government initiative here to send out laptops to children so they you know the people if, if their families don't have computers but you know as again people don't have stable internet connections you can't get online learning right so we're going to see these huge educational inequalities opening up so free universal child care just a hunch not going to happen are there things that we can do in the near term that would actually make things better so here in Britain, they introduced what's called shared parental leave, which was the idea that you could take some of what was traditionally seen as maternity leave and your the father or same-sex partner could instead take that. It's a really nice idea, but actually the take-up on it was woeful. It was 2% take-up. So what the Scandinavian countries do instead, they have much more generous maternity leave anyway, is they have a portion of leave that is supported by the state that can only be taken by the father or same-sex partner and therefore it's like if you want your free money you have to stay at home mm-hmm. um, and I think that's really positive because what it does is it stops all those habits being formed that it is mum's job to do this like um, one of the things that Ali Hoschild writes about I found really compelling is the kind of idea of the, the mental load of running a household with kids and it's who's responsible for knowing what stuff needs to be done right which in a formal workplace paid situation you regard as being a whole extra different job right mm-hmm. um, and that doesn't seem to tend to happen in the home that that gets recognized too so I think having those conversations about who's responsible for what and how things are divvied up and actually I mean I love a spreadsheet logging it all down I imagine for lots of couples would be kind of revelatory and fascinating yeah and romantic yeah who who doesn't love a spreadsheet (laughs) one just simple question for you are you optimistic or pessimistic given your knowledge about the history of feminism and these changes that this situation could cause a shift in how we think about childcare? That's a really good and difficult question to answer. Like all the way through writing my book, I was like, this is amazing. Like 150 years ago, you know, women couldn't go to university in Britain. You know, they didn't, a hundred years ago, they didn't have the vote. Um, you know, 50 years ago, didn't have uh, equal pay. So like, you know, it has, there have been significant milestones of victory. So I don't think you should ever discount the role of, of campaigning to, change policies and minds and attitudes but my worries here are twofold and the biggest one really is the idea that everything else is also competing for attention um and there will be a big move to say actually you know what it's really hard for big businesses now they need to be able to cut red tape which is usually a euphemism for you know employment protections because that's the only way that they're going to survive um and you will kind of get a kind of disaster capitalism effect where all of this kind of stuff gets shoved to the to the back. Mm-hmm. That that really worries me. And and the fact that that argument isn't totally illegitimate. You know, lots of businesses are going to find it incredibly right. difficult to survive coming out of the other side of this, and will have to make very hard choices about what they want to do. Right. Um, but the the one thing that does give me hope is the fact that I think lots of people's eyes have been opened to it. You know, there have been lots of viral clips of just one going off this week. You know, about people being interrupted on on TV by their kid coming in and right, going, right. You know, I've, I've like, seen some of this. Have you got you know? Can look at my drawing of a unicorn. Like I'm actually <laughs> trying to talk about Chinese foreign policy, right? Um, and and I think there will be maybe some dads who used to working outside the home who now working at home who kind of have a livelier appreciation of what it's like to spend all day at home with a three year old, and some employers who will 
have had to think about new ways of working, including more flexible and remote working, and right. won't therefore be as resistant to, no, I don't like change. Why don't we just, you know, keep doing things the way they're doing? So I am, I'm ambivalent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, as ever. Is July 4th just a really, really sad day in Britain? <laughs> yeah, we all just go, oh man, yeah. we really copped that one up, didn't we? Oh, shouldn't whatever we did with the tea, we shouldn't have we shouldn't have done that. Yeah, regrets. Hindsight 2020. Well, um condolences on the fourth and I thank you for talking to us. This was yeah. really helpful and I, I, I love the idea of an exposure budget. Yeah. Kids in school, not like yards of ale. Exactly. That's my manifesto exactly. for, for power. Ale at home. Ale at home, kids in school. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, well, thank you for talking to us. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, thank you so much. Bye. Talk to you later. Bye. Well, Jim, child care is infrastructure. Open child care and close everything else. Fantastic idea. Yeah, and take the money from the fireworks show and give it to the schools. Mm-hmm. It's not a lot of money, but it's going to be hard, I think, for a lot of people who are experiencing financial insecurity, all sorts of insecurity right now, to watch uh, millions of dollars just be blown up in the sky. Maybe I'm... It's like you don't even understand patriotism. Oh, you're right. I guess I don't. <laughs> it's uh, about wastefulness, destruction, and spectacle. <laughs> now you're talking... I do actually love fireworks. Though. Yeah. I mean, fireworks, flyovers. Yeah, I don't know what this I got to do some <laughs> That's what I'm going to do on July 4th is do some deep thinking about <laughs> how my love of wasteful spectacle aligns with my anger and disappointment in our national ideals. I'm going to think about that. Yeah. I hope you have a good weekend. I hope everyone has a good weekend and also like don't Go to a big barbecue and breathe over everyone, right? Like 4th of July holiday weekend tips. Oh, yeah. Jim? Um, I told Alvin this. If you do have to go to a barbecue, um, which you don't have to, uh, just make sure they flip the burgers or whatever you're eating from a, like six feet away. And you can catch it with a bun. And then, <laughs> um, Honestly, things are going to happen outside this weekend. I am less worried about this weekend than I am about the holidays in the fall. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, Alvin Mellis produced the show today. Write us at socialdistance at theatlantic.com. You can call us at 202-642-6487. And I say this every time, but it remains true if you want to get access to all of the Atlantic's journalism. And writing by Helen you can subscribe at theatlantic.com slash support us. Okay, I'll talk to you later. Bye, Catherine. Bye. So, should we go electric? I think we should go electrified with Toyota. Electrified? Electrified means options. Yes, we could go all electric with a Toyota BZ4X, but then there are hybrids like Grand Highlander, or we could do something in between like a RAV4 plug-in hybrid. So Toyota is electrified diversified? Yep, and with more options for reducing carbon emissions, the closer we all get to Toyota's Beyond Zero vision for the future. Exactly how much coffee have you had this morning? Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyondzero.